Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. It's season three, and we're exploring how our homes can improve our well-being. We'll be looking at the impact of the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the acoustic levels in our homes, smart kitchens, award-winning designs, and leading-edge building construction. We ask the questions so you know how to make your home work for you. I'm Jennifer Lee Gunson. And I'm Mike Friedman. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. Hey, Mike, today is the final episode for Measure Twice, Cut Once, Season 3. Hello, Jennifer Lee. It certainly is. And it is a little sad to think that we're not going to be in the studio again until next fall. I have really loved working with this group of people and the conversations we've been having this season. I know, but we'll be back. And in the meantime, we have such an interesting topic today, outdoor living. Oh, this topic hits home with me. I love cooking outdoors and my family literally lives out in our backyard. I know you have like 10 smokers (laughs) or something like that. I can never get them straight. It's a really important topic. There is so much to consider when designing our outdoor living space, especially when we are looking to improve our livability. Our guest has some examples for apartment dwellers as well, so they don't get left out. Absolutely. And when you consider the cost of land, typically is the largest percentage of the cost in your home. It only makes sense to ensure that you're maximizing the space you own. So let's bring in today's guest and dig a little deeper. Yeah, that was a pun and it was intended. So welcome Victor Kula, owner of Huckleberry Landscape Design. I was like, that was such a dad joke, but that's okay. I'm a dad. I know. (laughs) That's why it works. Hi, Victor. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Another fun day here. I know it's raining. Is this the type of weather that you like for a landscaper? No, but we're mostly waterproof, so we, you know, we float. That's great. I know that you and Mike have had a friendship for quite a few years. Can you guys tell us how you guys met? Yeah, certainly. So we met through Keith Lloyd. I think he was a family friend at one point and still is and a business coach. And we are introduced over mutual interest in outdoor cooking and smoking foods. And then we also found that we have a very strong passion about audio in general. So high performance audio and sound. Yeah, nothing makes me happier when I meet someone and they send me a text within 24 hours asking me what kind of amplifier speakers they should buy. That's when I know we're going to be friends. And we're so happy that friendship continued to today and you're here with us, Victor. So let's get to know a little bit about you. Tell us about Huckleberry Landscape Design. Absolutely. So Huckleberry Landscape Design is a family-owned company. I'm second-generation owner. Uh, My parents or my mom started the business and brought me in about five years ago now. We've been around since 2004 working in the residential space and doing everything from regular maintenance to full-scale outdoor renovations. I also love the fact that you are a second-generation business owner. I have my family's construction company. The only thing is I always try to escape it. So good for you for uh, continuing to carry on. Yeah, thank you. It's It's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of challenges, but really rewarding overall. One of the things I really like about dealing with you is you're, you're, you're thinking about things a little bit more differently and progressively than some of the other people out there. And one of the challenges I think we've always faced is we've always treated the exterior of the home as a completely separate ecosystem to the interior of the home. And one of the things I really love about you and your company is that you're basically creating some continuity between the two as be creating one as an extension of the other people, how they live their lives. Wonder if we could dig into a little bit about the role of the landscaper in terms of the design process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's a little bit different design process than say an architect versus a builder, right? Because a lot more things are done by you in house. 
like you said, the outdoor space is typically the last thing on everyone's list. Most builders are experts at building beautiful houses and beautiful indoor spaces. And usually haven't considered the property until the very end. And unlike a building, you have some very finite restrictions about what you can work with in terms of your elevation, your square footage, and what you'll be looking at. Uh, So when we come on board, we try to work with what we have and then expand on it and enhance it from there. Internally, we come on from concept where you have a napkin drawing or an idea where you'd like to build an outdoor space. You're like, oh, I need to do something with my outdoor. My lawn is terrible. My yard got flooded out when the city burst a water main up the hill for me and I need to re-enree it. So we come in, we work with what we have. We take all our measurements and elevations and then uh, start asking questions about how you want to use your space and what sort of lifestyle you want to live and uh, then start brainstorming ideas about how to make that real. Like you said, Victor, a lot of people are concerned about the architectural design of the home because everyone's like, I want my home to look great. But the architectural design of the home, how much does that dictate your landscaping design? It is a pretty big part. We really want to complement the building. We don't want you to have like an Arizona style landscape for a modern West Coast style house. We really try to take that into consideration and find complementary features that enhance both the landscape and the structure. I have a question. While you're going through this process, obviously you're making design decisions in conjunction with your client on behalf of your client. How does this work as far as other stakeholders in the project? So builders, um, other people who are trades and things like that. How do you work with them? So we like working with builders uh, as early as in the process as possible because the gas line is a key example is you have all these buried utilities and if you want a fireplace outside or or an irrigation system, we have to make sure that we're going to get that installed with the least amount of disruption to the overall project. So we try and establish the clear lines of communication as quickly and early as possible and just stay in constant contact so we're not stepping on anyone's uh, anyone's toes and make sure that we're not redoing work unnecessarily. It's so interesting, Victor, because I just thought about this. So the last few seasons that we've done of Measure Twice, Cut Once, we've always talked about how important it is for the contractor and the interior designer to be on the project at the very beginning because of the integrated design plan. But And just the process of making sure everybody's on the same page and understanding where everything's going through the house to make sure that the home is going to be built correctly. So it's interesting that you say that you guys are kind of the last thought because that was my thought too. was like, oh, landscaping can be done later. But you guys are an integral part as well. I'd like to think we are. I'm only a little bit biased about that. But being involved in it is crucial because there are some substantial factors that come into play from your driveway to your stormwater management, the surface runoff, so your water management plans to the tree and shade features on the project. If you have like big trees in Vancouver, I know you can't really touch any trees, but having a tree on your property is huge and can really impact how you move about the site with your equipment during the early stages of the project. You're correct on that. Actually, that that is another big concern is the fact that I was talking to a builder in Vancouver and you do have to build around the trees because you cannot cut them down. So that probably affects you guys a lot to the contractor and of course you as the landscape architect. Well, even just little things like patio pavers and stuff like that, if you got roots under your trees, that severely impacts what you can do outside. Absolutely. So we have on our staff a a consulting arborist who is very familiar with all the tree bylaws of the various municipalities. And they are a crucial part of the permitting process, especially in Vancouver, where if you have trees or 
any of the other municipalities because that can really impact how you want to build your project. You can get fined and add additional costs if you are uh, in violation of those bylaws and really delay your permitting process. And can that create implications? Like as an example, I mean, I love cooking on natural gas and I love heating my, my exterior with natural gas. For someone looking to upgrade their yard, those trees, do they have implications for the ability to do things like run gas lines for those things? They can, but usually we'll just go around the tree, stay outside the uh, tree protection zone. And, you know, the most buried gas lines that I like to do are fairly flexible so we can run them wherever we need. It's just a little bit more labor to avoid the roots. It's so interesting because we talk about the permit process a lot on this podcast, and I never even thought about the trees that can be a part of the permit process. They absolutely can. So I'm not an arborist. I, I just talk to my arborist a fair bit, and he's regularly reviewing plans for properties that have, and he's surveying the trees and figuring out where they belong and the proximity to the property lines and the, the perimeter of the house, because if you at the beginning of the project, if you have a big tree and you're going to be digging in it, well, you could severely impact the health of the tree. And in a number of years, it could die and drop on the house. Big substantial investment like a new building and a tree falls on it because you weren't careful about cutting roots. And then at the, the flip side of it is if you have a, a landscape architect who has a beautiful small tree that looks fantastic right at the front entryway, if it's the wrong species, could actually extend its roots through your foundation wall, causing all sorts of water ingress problems. We really don't think a lot about permits for exterior living, but obviously they're a part of what you do. Where are some of the areas, since we're on this topic, where a homeowner might think about a permit for doing work outside of their house beyond gas and trees? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want a covered patio, uh, an extension off your house, you're undertaking a renovation, you definitely need a permit for extending your roof line. Uh, I believe that's kind of the terminology that I've used at least for it. If you're building a swimming pool, you definitely want a permit to make sure all your boxes are checked and your I's are dotted and T's crossed. Any gas work or water work, you definitely want to get a permit for. Let's put it this way. I highly recommend it. It makes my life a whole bunch easier when we follow the procedure. This is great. This is a lot of information that we've never touched upon before. And it just, it's opening my eyes. Like, obviously, my parents have had a construction company, but I never think about the landscape and just the whole permits and everything and how they're tied together. So again, it's important to have all the proper professionals in place when you're wanting to build a home because they'll help you through this because I don't even know all this stuff. The other thing I want to talk about now is I'm not great at uh, keeping plants alive indoors as it is. If I was to landscape the front or backyard of my home, are there things that are like low maintenance for people like me that might kill everything? Or do you really need to have a green thumb to have a lot of great plants in your landscape design? Huckberry Landscape Design belongs to the BCLNA, which is the uh, British Columbia Landscape and Nursery Association. And this group has created a bunch of really useful resources for exactly this question. And it's a plant list of native plants that are thrive in our local environment and are, in most cases, very low maintenance. They only require a weekend a year of maintenance on it. They can be drought tolerant. They can be perennial, so they keep coming back year after year, or they can be just ignored and left to their own devices. But we definitely have a very broad selection of low-maintenance plants that make things look pretty and not too much effort on the homeowner. Oh, I love that. You're speaking my language. <laughs>
I don't want to spend time maintaining them. That's probably why a lot of my indoor plants die, but that's okay. But I think, Jennifer, that's pretty common where people want to enjoy their space and enjoy their yard, but they just don't have the time that they would have otherwise had to maintain them. So what you're talking about is twofold. There's obviously the aesthetic benefit of it, but there's also the time you get back by working with a professional who can guide you the right decisions to make so you don't spend all weekend watering your plants or replacing dead plants every three weeks or whatever it is that Jennifer has to do in her house whenever her plants die. Something else that's been kind of popular besides, of course, outdoor kitchens during COVID is gardens. A lot more people are gardening because I think they realize like, hey, if I'm locked down again, at least I can create my own vegetables. What are you kind of seeing for trends in the vegetable variety, like for gardens? Are you seeing full out gardens, just little bits of herbs gardens here and there? I have seen a very broad range of of everything on that from people like first experimenting with, hey, I'd like to try growing some of my own vegetables this year is I have nothing else to do. I'm going to sit there and watch the grass grow, so to speak. Or they're going, you know what, I, I want to actually be able to, you know, provide a substantial portion of my food for my family. I met one person that their garden is providing almost 70% of their vegetable-based groceries in their backyard in a standard Vancouver-sized lot. That's a plug for someone who they worked with who helped them plan that space efficiently because as we all know, we can take the same space and do it efficiently or inefficiently as well. That's something you can help with, right? Taking a small plot of land and making it a very usable space for us. How do, how do you do that? How do you figure those things out? A lot of it is getting clever with what space you have. So we would look at the light that you get Obviously, a south-facing lot with more more daylight is a, a, a big boon, but we can make sure that something will work, kind of work, whichever orientation your yard is. And then we can get creative from doing vertical gardens to, like you have behind you in the studio here, to actually very creatively built planter beds with space for a bit of everything. We're going to invest in a backyard and all these beautiful plants and foliage and everything else. We want to keep them alive. Can you talk about some of the options out there, other than me being diligent, remember to do it every morning, about how you can help someone like me or Jennifer keep our plants alive without necessarily having to manually water them? Do you do automatic watering systems? This is actually a really good topic because a bunch of new watering regulations came into the Metro Vancouver area this year. Uh, You're now restricted to watering your lawn once a week until the end of time and until they change it. Basically, having an automatic irrigation system or watering system is just a huge time saver and water saver. There's a bunch of different dials in there from your traditional like pop-up sprinkler that's in ground and sprays around to a, a drip irrigation system that is just going to run and immediately drop the water right at the, the critical root zone of the plants. I'm a big fan of the drip irrigation systems because they're incredibly efficient compared to the, the traditional sprinklers. For example, a traditional sprinkler, I can't remember the exact number right now, but it's only about 10% efficient at delivering water to the plants, whereas a drip irrigation is about 90% efficient. So put in comparison, we had one project where we set up a water meter to measure how much water we were putting on there. And we figured that over a month, we were using 2,700 gallons of water for irrigation. And we were pretty much able to ensure that 90% of that was delivered to the plants. So can we talk a little bit more about these watering restrictions? Obviously, we can water our grass once a week. What about the rest of the plants in our house? Do we only get to water those once a week as well? Or can we hand water them? How can we get around this without violating our bylaws? and still keep our lawn and our grass looking as lush and nice as possible. You don't need to let your grass 
stay green year round. Uh, it, grass is very resilient. Obviously, aesthetically, you want it looking green, but it's okay to let it go brown because it will be back in the fall. For the rest of your garden plant, you're allowed to hand water. There are some watering restrictions when you should be doing it, but if you have an automated system, you can make sure that gets taken care of and you don't have to remember what days you're allowed to water on. I just have a question for you. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I know a big trend that's happening right now is fake grass. And some of the fake grass looks really great. Do you ever recommend that? Or are you like, no, are you a purist when it comes to grass? I am very biased, but there is definitely a place for artificial turf. I would prefer to stay as organic and not plastic as possible, but there is definitely a place for it. It is definitely less resources in terms of your care and maintenance, but instead of mowing it, you have to vacuum it. Well, you can't cut it, so you're just going to vacuum it to get all the debris off. It does get quite hot because it is plastic, so you've got to be careful with, with your dogs running on the lawn and that sort of thing. And it will still grow weeds as the seeds are deposited by birds and the wind as they drop into the plastic. They'll sprout and start growing on their own. Sounds like too much work. I thought it was going to be easy, but I didn't realize you have to vacuum it. So hard no. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There is definitely a place for it. I'm not a big fan of it personally, but that's my opinion on it. But there are definitely uh, valid places to put it. Speaking of ground cover, we talk about obviously artificial turf and grass as being the primary ways of covering our yards. But there is a lot of discussion about people using other plants to get that green in the yard and be more bee friendly like clover. Have you seen any of those trends sort of make their way into the Vancouver market? And do you see that as being a viable option to grass? My backyard, actually, I've done a micro clover blend grass seed on it. And what I've noticed with that one is I have to water it significantly less, which is already good. It stays green longer. And the micro clover doesn't get particularly big. It stays uh, about two to three inches when you do a proper maintenance program on it, and which is an optimal height for grasses, period, or lawn grasses. So that, that's that's one option, having the, the micro clover. There's a couple other options that depending on the sort of traffic you're going to have on your yard, we would recommend, but it, there's multiple options. I didn't realize there's so much options for ground cover. Another thing I want to ask you about, which I'm not too familiar about, but what is a dunk pool? A dunk pool is a rather neat product that is a plunge pool. So it's a compact size steel container pool. The brand is called Dunk, and I'm an authorized installer for them. They're manufactured in Nanaimo, so they're another local company. And I think they're pretty neat. They have a couple standard sizes, a 10 foot by a length. So I think there's a 10, 15, 20, and 30 foot length pools. They are a plunge pool, which is different from a regular pool in that they're not full size. They are compact and they're meant to jump in and float around in. You can swim laps in them, but it's meant for lounging in. It's kind of like when you go to Mexico and if you have one of those suites with a plunge pool, similar idea. They have similar their little idea, yeah. pool that you can't really fully swim in, but it's just nice to uh, dunk in. We always talk about the health benefits of passive homes and different products that we put into the homes during this podcast, but what is the benefit of a dunk pool for your lifestyle and I guess your mental health wellness? Having a pool is... A good thing to do. It gives you somewhere to go relax. It gives you somewhere to cool off in the, the high summer months. A heat or dome. high heat. Yeah, beware they're coming back. Have a pool before then. They, they let you cool down. They get you physically active and a spot to decompress. When we put our pools together, we really look at the, the functionality of the entire outdoor space to make sure that it is more than just a hole in the ground with some water in it. 
I just didn't realize there was so much to all this stuff. And like you said, it's more than just a hole with water. It's just amazing because that's all I used to think about pools and landscaping. So you're changing my mind, Victor. I'm amazed at all the insight you're sharing with us today. I want to explore more trends and wellness benefits, plus maintenance tips, which we know maintenance is not my favorite. But first, we need to thank our sponsors. Measure Twice Cut Once is grateful for the support from our podcast partner, Fortis BC. Their support helps us share expert knowledge and resources like you're hearing today from Victor to help design and landscape the perfect outdoor space that's right for your family. Speaking of resources, the BC Energy Step Code Program is a provincial standard that is moving the entire home building industry forward to build homes to better energy efficiency standards, which means better comfort, health, and safety. Be sure to check out betterhomesbc.ca, where you will find a variety of rebates for construction materials, home energy evaluations, plus mortgage and tax refunds. Now let's get back to Victor. We were just talking about cooling down in a pool and... Related to that, we talked about heat and heat domes. What we know, and one of the oldest tricks in the book to stay cool, is to go into the shade. So I'd like to turn the topic a little bit to where an area, because we're also talking about trees, about shade and what the benefits of having shade can do for a homeowner and for a home. Having a tree on your property, especially in the, the right spot, will cool your area down just by blocking a bunch of the sunlight and uh, creating the shade, which just it's not going to get heated up. It's going to stay cool longer. There's a neat phenomenon called a heat island. Oh, I was just going to ask you that because I'm cold all the time. <laughs> I want to know what heat I... islands aren't good. Oh, they're not good. Oh, okay. No. So they basically, if you have a area with high or solid surfaces, like a large concrete area and a lot of light reflecting in there, the ambient temperature is going to be significantly higher because it's it's going to heat up the concrete. The concrete's going to radiate that heat longer. And it's just a, forget the specific term for it, but it's a, it's a feedback cycle that just builds on itself. But by putting a tree in that area and breaking up that surface and increasing some shade, you can dramatically cool the area, even a single tree, by providing that shade and breaking up the space. And let's talk a little bit of just about the climate. Like, okay, I realize heat islands are bad now. They are not as exotic as they sound. But of course, we're here in Vancouver, which it is a rainforest. Uh, we're not the most warmest, except when we're having a heat dome. What type of plants should you be picking? Because I remember when I grew up, uh, we had a banana tree. And I remember it was a pain for my dad because you always have to make sure the banana tree is not too cold and you have to wrap it up. So should we be using more plants that are native to this area? Absolutely. Well, for me, it's an easy answer. Absolutely, you should be for a bunch of reasons. Namely, a native plant is going to thrive in our local biosphere, our, our local environment. For all intents and purposes, they evolved and grown into be able to thrive in our area. By also choosing native plants, you can reduce the likelihood of an invasive species coming in and outcompeting all the other local plants and like a blackberry or something like that. We have a bunch of really handy tools that we can use. The USDA, I think it is, has a climate zone model. Basically said every region of North America is broken down in these specific climates and they, it's a numbering system. And most of our growers and nurseries have a, a list on their plants that say these plants thrive in these regions. So Vancouver generically, I think, is a, a seven and a, an eight in this ranking system. So if you're looking for plants, find something that hits 
in those numbers or around those numbers. Are you seeing a lot of people who may have had those tropical plants reverting back to more natural native species as they upgrade their yards and their spaces? Yes. Usually I found that they're wanting to go to more native species because it's a lot less effort and maintenance to take care of them. Pesticides are a very big conversation. Some municipalities have outright banned them. Some people like myself have made the decision just simply not to use them. Can we talk a little about how we deal with pests on the property and some of the more uh, responsible manners that you can suggest for people to take care of their properties without necessarily reverting to using pesticides? I don't like pesticides. I think they're particularly nasty for humans and animals. And it's kind of like dropping a nuclear bomb when really uh, getting in there with a screwdriver or a pry bar to remove something works better. We try to use something called an integrated pest management program. Basically, we come in, we monitor what's going on, and we try and find the best solution to achieve a balance in your local space. Entire removal of a pest is typically going to have some far-reaching implications uh, to the rest of your local plant life and bug life there. So we try and do things like, oh, this pest really likes this type of plant, so we're going to remove it and replace it with something it doesn't like. If you have something in your grass like a chafer beetle, we'll, we'll start taking steps to change the conditions of the ground so they won't be able to thrive there and eventually they'll die off and go away. It, usually it's like a, a nuclear option to go for the pesticide to remove something. So we try and manage it and monitor it so that way it's much more less invasive and kind of the best choice for what's going to happen there. I've seen this happen where people have brought a box of live ladybugs and, and released them on the property versus pesticides. Do you guys uh, dabble in any of those natural remedies? That's actually a really good one right there because the ladybug native species to our region and will come and eat a lot of pests and then carry on their merry way. So that, that's, that's really a good option. We try and find the best solution for the area. And in some cases, the ladybug is the best. Perfect. And just kind of wrapping everything up, Victor, I just wanted to know, obviously, adding a landscape design to your property does cost money. Is there a best way for people who are maybe wanting to start adding a few plants to spruce up the look of their home, but maybe don't have a huge budget? Is there a way that they can start out a little bit or should they just go full blown right away? (laughs) No, start small. Find something you like. Look on Pinterest or wherever else you get your inspirations from and find something you like. Go to your, your garden center and look at the plants. Find out which ones are native plants. And when you're ready, you can give me a shout and we'll come and make a really formal and exotic plan for you. Victor, I'd like to talk to you a little about how what you do can significantly impact the result of some of the work that some of our other guests have done, and that is builders and renovators who are playing in the high-performance space. So we also know that 75% of heat gain comes through the windows, and as a result of reducing the amount of light coming through the windows, we're actually aiding the goals of the high-performance house. Can you talk a little bit more about trees and landscaping, some of the other ways they'll aid the goals of someone who's investing in a high-performance home? Absolutely. So keep retaining trees on your property, especially tall, mature trees that will block light onto your house, will reduce the amount of light hitting it and, by extension, the amount of heat that's going to radiate its way in there. With the appropriate landscaping, you can also reduce the the exterior temperatures by having more green space goes back to our heat island idea where basically the reflected energy going across hard surfaces and coming down will heat an area up and by being able to break that radiation up 
absorbing it into a tree or something else, you'll be able to dramatically cool the ambient temperature by having uh, the, the trees there. In a couple of studies come out, a single tree in a concrete space, like a plaza or something like that, was able to reduce the ambient temperature by almost two degrees in a concrete space. We're, we're looking at this through a couple different lenses. The first is people like myself who live outdoors. So that makes a more comfortable outdoor space for me to reside in after I finish work in the summer. I can go outside. It's comfortable. We spend time with our family and friends. It's great. But I'm also thinking about my neighbors behind me in the fence who never, ever, ever come outside. So it seems like an interesting conversation for them. Why would they invest in landscaping and, and work with someone like yourself? And the answer is very simple. And you just outlined it. Whether they ever spend time outside or not, Working with someone like you can help create a more comfortable house for them to stay inside, whether it's just having a nice visual aesthetic or reducing their heating and cooling costs, correct? That's correct, yeah. Well, I also just feel like it's a big missed opportunity as well. Like we have this piece of land. Of course, we have the main purpose of it is to live in a house, but I'm sure there's a lot of health benefits too to having a full garden and trees around your home besides just living in your nice home. I'm sure there's a lot of health benefits to the outdoor space as well, right? Absolutely. So one of the things we've uh, discovered over the years is that getting your hands dirty and playing in the garden is great for your mental health. Getting dirt under your fingernails is just great for your mental well-being, getting to relax and unwind. The physical benefits of being outside in the fresh air and lifting and digging and working and generally building your space yourself are just fantastic, your mental health and your physical health. If you're indoors, having plants that are there is great for the air quality. I mean, these high-performance homes are really good at controlling air quality anyways, but having a... Uh, plants just improves it and makes it that much easier. And are there just benefits to helping the earth too? Because like, obviously we know that uh, the bee population is in trouble by you adding certain plants and stuff. Can you help aid uh, in helping maybe attract more friendly bees? Part of our native plant list, we have the pollinator friendly plants who are absolutely uh, great at attracting bees and birds and other things that are beneficial for our local environment. And the native plants will help our native pollinator populations thrive and grow. Great. So you're not just helping yourself for your own health and having a nice home and a nice space to relax and you're also helping the earth as well. It's all rounded. Oh, absolutely. A very green industry. <laughs> no pun intended. Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much, Victor, for joining us today on another episode of Measure Twice, Cut Once. It's been a great conversation on the benefits of landscaping to improve our outdoor space. And for me, it's been an expensive conversation because you've really got me thinking about my backyard. Wait until Pam hears about her brand new dunk pool and outdoor kitchen. She'll love it. It's going to be quite an animated discussion. Today, we talked about so much great information, and I think what's great about it is whether you live in a condominium or a big house, it's all relevant. We talked about the importance of planning ahead to include outdoor kitchens, to take into consideration permits for electrical, plumbing, gas, and things like that. We got deep into outdoor living trends, including dunk pools. We talked about the benefits of native plants for year-round interest with low maintenance, how trees can offer shade, privacy, and benefit high-performance homes and heat islands. And of course, maintenance tips and balance in nature so you can naturally avoid having to use pesticides. Okay, Victor, I love asking this question to all our guests. Before you go, do you have one tip to share with our listeners? Absolutely. Get outside and have fun. There's so much you can do. Thank you, Victor. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, like, and share with your family and friends. 
more followers we have, the more people will find our podcast and the excellent resources our guests, like Victor, are sharing. And for notes and links and hopefully pictures of dunk pools and everything mentioned on today's episode, including resources shared by Victor, go to haven.ca slash measure twice cut once. This concludes season three. We'll be back in September as we follow the Burden family living through a Vancouver Heritage home renovation. Living in the basement with two little kids, it's a real-time reno you will not want to miss. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.